Good evening, everyone, and welcome to High Spirits. I'm Jay Seigman, and with me, as always, is my best pal, Noelle Schmidt. That's right. We host a show called High Spirits in which we drink alcohol and we talk about ghosts. Noelle, what you drinking? Uh, tonight I am drinking Boda Box Revolution. Boda Box, it's wine in a box, and Revolution is the only boxed wine available. <laughs> Well, this evening, I, uh, you know, a really, really fun and inspirational thing happened in my life. I went out to my rooftop with a construction paper that said, send me cores. And a truck came to my alley and uh, gave me a 12 pack. So thank you, Coors Light. That is incredible. You're sure they're not, they weren't delivering to the uh, liquor store next door. They must have been, but I <laughs> just yoinked it off the back of that truck and said, thank you for your service. And then I leaped back up to my second store, uh, story balcony. You, you are very bouncy. Um, my agility is great. It's like out of 10, it's like a five, like a solid five. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. I'm at like a three, three and a half, maybe. Yeah. So a little creaky, um, but it's all this, uh, sitting at home, um, which, uh, again, I can't thank Vinny's enough and the fine people at Boda box, uh, for allowing me to buy a case of a box of wine. Oh my. It's a brilliant thing. Um, yeah. And so in the only, the red, this is no joke, um, at my Vinny's when I did my online, uh, curbside pickup order, uh, Redvolution was the only case of red left. All of Ooh. the others had been um, like you, they like some of them had like two boxes left, but yeah, like they're flying off the shelves. Huh. So, well, my secrets out. Yeah, <laughs> I was saying, besides drinking, which seems to be the national pastime at this point in quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I should say this: Noel and I believe in the mission. We are not together. We are practicing social distancing. Um, we are uh, doing this over Skype, so uh, we are in our two different locations. Uh, Noelle, I was going to ask you, what's your favorite thing that you've been doing in quarantine? Oh, um, that's a good question, Jay. Um, I, I've, I've watched a few movies. Um, I've painted a lot of rooms or, like, various walls. So, um, you know, whenever I start to feel antsy, I have some paint uh, so it's like, oh, maybe I'll just put some more paint on this wall. So um, I don't know that it looks very good, but it's giving me something <laughs> to do. How about yourself? Um, boy, there's a lot to like about quarantine, but I think my favorite thing is uh, TikTok. Oh, no. Yeah, dude. I love it. You're into it, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, is this the first time I've talked to you about it? Yeah. Oh, that's crazy because we talk so much. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's almost like you've been trying to keep it from me. Yeah, I know. It's like my my one last secret that I can keep from you. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, I, I don't know what I would do without it. It is fucking great. Do you the have people of the world are amazing at the shit they do? <laughs> it's it's yeah. I mean, I've watched my eleven year old cousin do all of these different dance moves, and I have no idea like in front of a phone and I have no idea what she's doing. And then um, my aunt uh, was like, she's TikToking because yeah. I'm the old person in the room. Apparently um, she's but, 
Oh, okay. I don't know. Okay. Um, <laughs> what? Sorry. Whatever that is. Um, it's it's dancing. Okay. Oh, so we have a new word for dance. Well, no, it's a type of dance. It's I'm a different kind of dance. Is it like the voguing type moves? No, it's 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 the most extraordinary thing you've ever seen. Like the way that it's basically like um, the dances are so extraordinary because they're basically like like micro movements, but really sped up. So it looks like it gives the impression that like people are like floating or their feet are just kind of like, like water moving on the ground. It's so cool. Is it like, I'm trying to relate it to things that um, I know, like the Macarena. <laughs> no, think <laughs> like the moonwalk, but 87 million times cooler. Okay. But this concludes Jay explains new things to Noelle. <laughs> yeah. I also have to say though, it's people on TikTok are so funny. Like, Everything they do, it's just, it's hilarious. I could be either either losing my mind or it's hilarious. Um, I, I can't say I'll check it out, but I may. I haven't you seen should. it. It's amazing. I, have, I saw that video of that older, like that um, older middle-aged couple doing, um, drinking beer from their garage door, their electric garage door. Have you seen that? That's cute. I've seen um, about a million of them. So the deal is like my favorite ones are like 10 seconds long, 15 seconds long. Like there's so much content that you don't really have to like, like it or hate it. You don't have to like spend any time on it. Um, and I will probably personally never produce a TikTok, but. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a voyeur. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So um, is there a group or a person that you follow or that you really like? that you're watching their TikToks. Is that what they're called? Are they called TikToks? I mean, I, I think take the question mark out and just kind of stick the landing in an evil killed voice. You'll be fine. <laughs> like it's TikTok. Um, there's this really cool dancer. I think she's called Taylor the dancer. I'm not really quite sure if she's fucking, she's like the best dancer I've ever seen. Okay. okay. She like seems to live like in a co-op in New York with two other dancers and like the things that they're able to do, they do a lot with like, um, the way they align their bodies, like it'll often look like they're all three, like in the same movement. And then there's a lot of like, I don't know, it's, it's visually stunning. So, uh, she's okay. great. If you, if you just jumped on, she'd probably pop up cause her, her videos are really popular. She's on fire. Yeah. She's, she's lit. On fire. lit. Is that what they say? Yeah. Um, how old do I sound right now? Um, <laughs> I'm not even trying. Uh, I just, it takes me a little bit to get on board with things. Uh, as, as you know, like, um, I, I have a quick movie movie moment. Great. Um, this movie I've actually been dragging. Citizen Kane. You catching up? Yeah. And you guys, it was all about that freaking sled. Yeah. Um, who, what the hell? Um, no, I, I've been dragging my movie or my movie, my feet on this movie for some reason. And I don't know why, because the guy who uh, produced it or who directed it, I really like. Um, it's called Mayhem and it stars one Stephen Yoon from um, Walking Dead. Walking Dead, yes. And uh, it's directed by Joe Lynch, who is involved with Hatchet, the movie, the Hatchet movies, and um, uh, Chillerama, which is kind of like a 
bunch of like short uh, horror movies that um, a bunch of horror film directors got involved with and uh, the show Holliston. So like all these things that I really like, I don't know why I didn't watch it. Anyway, the premise of the movie is that there's a virus going around. And if you are infected by it, you act out your like greatest desires. So um, in this scenario, um, an entire office building is infected. And so think about what happens <laughs> in an office when you are infected by something that like heightens your emotions to like the 10th degree. So if there's a, a coworker that you really hate or loathe, like you're going to beat the crap out of them. Oh. If there's somebody you've been lusting after, you're going to have sex with them. So that's basically the movie and it's awesome. It's super fun. Uh, check it out. It's on shutter. So huh. if you have Amazon prime, you should be able to check that out. That's a fun idea. Yeah. It's a really interesting concept. And I was like, I think now with um, us currently living in the times of a deadly virus, why not watch this about another potential deadly virus that has huh. some comedy to it? All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It's, it's gruesome. You wouldn't like that part of it, but um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty entertaining. And, and Steven Yoon, I, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly is wonderful and delightful as always. Okay. Glenn from The Walking Dead. And also known for uh, his work here in Chicago at Second City. Chicago. Well. Chicago. Mm -hmm. All right. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Jay, if this runs long, I'm just going to preface this right now because it may. We might have to go into two parts. So um, if we see that this is running long and there's a good breaking point, we're going to stop. Okay. okay. So I think you might know this little rhyme that goes a little like this. <clears throat> Lizzie Borden took an ax and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Yeah. <laughs> have you heard that? I have heard it. <clears throat> That's right, Jay. We are talking about the OG OJ, Lizzie Borden. Yeah, we are. Hell yeah. <laughs> Did you All see right. the Christina Ricci, uh, Lizzie Borden Chronicles? I didn't. Did you? So good. Really? It was panned pretty badly. Sure. So. I don't I don't care. <laughs> like, I wanted to. I don't I know. I love the reach and mm -hmm. I love the story. And she just like it's like I love it's her. So good. Mm -hmm. But don't listen to me. I have terrible personal taste. So no, I mean, I, I'm into anything Lifetime pr uh, produces. So was it on Lifetime? It was on Lifetime. I, I saw it, I think, on Hulu, but it was so good. No, I did want to watch it. And I remember when it came out a few years ago, talking with some friends about how we were going to record it. And then I just never did for whatever reason. It was but, a TV show. It was like a whole series. Yeah. There was there. Well, and actually, I was going to talk about that later, but we'll talk about it right now. It started with like um, the miniseries with Christina Ricci. And which I think was Lizzie Borden took an ax and then it was followed up by the Lizzie Borden Chronicles, which was, yeah. a, became a TV show. Um, but yeah, I should check it out because after doing all of this research, it's such a fascinating story. And yeah. it's, um, it's, it's darling girl be a sociopath. Right. Well, and when I say the OG OJ, OJ. Like, she was the, <laughs> She was the hot story of the day. She was that like Casey Anthony, like that sensationalized murder trial because nobody could believe that 
this woman, because she was a woman, she was 32 when this happened, that that she could do such a thing. And it was um, an elite, wealthy family in uh, a well-to-do part of of um, this town in um, Massachusetts. And it's like, how could this possibly happen? Not to that kind of a family, you know? So uh, it's really, um, we were talking about this last time too. It's just human behavior doesn't change mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, with this kind of stuff. So uh, let's, let's take it back a little bit though. Let's talk about uh, Lizzie and her early life. So Lizzie was born Lizzie Andrew Borden. Andrew? Um, Andrew. So okay. her middle name was her father's first name. Huh. Yeah. Uh, she was born on um, July 19th, 1860 to in Fall River, Massachusetts to Sarah Anthony Morse. So I think that's probably why her mother gave her her father's middle name because her mother's middle name was presumably what her father's was. So it must have been like oh, a family a tradition. tradition. Yeah. Um, and Andrew Jackson Borden. Huh. Um, her. Well, we need, we now know everything about their family taste. <laughs> <laughs> this is really why I, why I'm doing this. Just yeah, you're just you. me. <laughs> you know what we love about the former president his uh, his policies towards Native Americans. Mm-hmm. I actually am a big fan of his hair, but um... listen, he is a gorgeous <laughs> vampire, but might have been one of the most atrocious people. The whole, yes, a literal vampire. Um, her father uh, prospered in the manufacture and sale of furniture and caskets. Uh, he was also also a property developer. Um, he he had his hands kind of in everything. So he directed several textile mills, including um, the Globe Yarn Mill Company, Troy Cotton, and Woolen Man- Manufacturing Company. He owned a commercial I'm gonna, property. I'm going to uh, write a play, call it Textile Mill, and then direct <laughs> it so I can say I directed a textile mill. <laughs> it's so weird. Like, he just kind of was like, <laughs> I don't know that he actually, like, worked or owned. He just, like, it says that he directed. Like, he was heavily involved in so many things. He was a consultant. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, he was the president of the Union Savings Bank. He was the director of Durfee Sale Safe Deposit and Trust Company. Come on down to Durfee's. Durfee. Durfee's going to come back later. Oh, uh, great. Yes. At the time of his death, he was worth three. 300- I always think, like, if you have a ridiculous name, you must come back. It's the only reason why you're in a story. <laughs> so people can be like, oh, yeah, Durfee. Mm-hmm. Durf. Dirk Durfee, um, heir to the Durfee fortune, sure. Durfee deposits. Um, at the time of his death, Andrew was worth 300000 which uh, in this time would be $8.5 million. Oh. So moderately wealthy, one would say. 8.5 in the 1860s? Hell yes. Yeah. Dang good. That's um, some cash. Well, it's because he was very frugal. Um, the house didn't have indoor plumbing or electricity. That's a boo for me. That is a big boo. Um, it, it was mentioned a couple of times in the s- stuff that I read that um, they often would eat spoiled meat. What? Because he didn't want to spend money on 
unfood for them. Yeah. Like he was very controlling on, on everything that the family did. Um, despite all of this, they, they lived in the, uh, the Hill neighborhood, which was an affluent part of fall river. Um, so he was clearly about status. They were, um, the family were members of the central congregational church. Lizzie taught Sunday school to, um, recent immigrant children. She was the secretary treasurer for the Christian Endeavor Society. She was also a member of the Women's Christian Temperance Union or the WCTU. What, what? Come on down to the WCTU for some nice sober talking. (laughs) I don't think she'd like this show. Juice and crackers here. Um, (laughs) And she was a member of Ladies Fruit and Flower Mission. Sounds nice. Um, Stupid. I don't want to do that. If you if you sent me an evite, please don't. By the way, I by the way I can't come Uh, (laughs) to the ladies' fruit and flower club. What? (laughs) If 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 I send you anything like that, that's when that's when you need to send help for me. Yeah, I was like, she's lost it. And here's the thing: I'm such a pussy that sometimes I don't even reply to those things. That one, I would just click no. And I don't care. I don't care that you know it. I don't care that you know that I'm judging the shit out of you. I'll just be like, no. A what club? Like do a wellness check on me, whatever yeah. you need to do. Please send help. Big no. Okay. Um so uh she was she was heavily involved in the community, the whole family was. And Lizzie and her sister Emma, um were um, for the time both older and unwed and still lived at home with their father. Um, Her her mother passed away when they were um, younger. I didn't put the, how old they were, but they were, I think they were like around 10 and 12. Yeah. Formative years. Um, Three years later, her father remarried Abby Durfee Gray, part of the Durf family. Um, (laughs) Lizzie reportedly called her stepmother Mrs. Borden and believed that she married her father for his wealth. Uh Um, I'm going to jump ahead to the future and I'm going to talk, we're going to talk about the pigeon controversy. (laughs) So. uh, I was about to lie and be like, is it what I think it is? No, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> so, um, they there was a barn on their property, and Lizzie had built a roost in the barn for pigeons. Oh, I kind of know what this is. Okay, keep going. Yeah, and so, um, she is basically like Bert from Sesame Street. Like she's the cartoon, her- the puppet. The, the Muppet, correct, yes. I like, have no likes, idea what this is. Oh, Bert loves pigeons. That was his thing. Oh. Like, he feeds pigeons out of his um, apartment. He's the yellow, the yellow gay one? He is the yellow gay one, yes. Okay. That is correct. Um, his partner is Ernie. He's the um, one? Yes. They're, I don't you know, have kids. You have kids. I haven't been around the Muppets right. in, like, 5,000 well, years. They're, they're based off of the odd couple, actually. Huh. But they're, they're definitely more... Um, gay they're definitely <laughs> i was like how do i say this they they are based off of the odd couple but are clearly a couple they're very sweet I they're very sweet yes. yes they're very nice to each other they really are um 
Okay, so uh, so Lizzie was really into her pigeons, um, but on May in May 1892, her father kills the pigeons with a hatchet, believing they were attacking the local children to hunt them. Uh, to hunt them, so he thought that the pigeons were hunting the children. Um, it's it's worth noting that um, Andrew Borden at this point was in his early 70s. In so he lost it. Late 1800s. So he was, yeah. Do you have any, any scuttlebutt in there about maybe it was Lizzie herself who did that? I don't. Do you know anything about that? I, I think I do, but I don't. I, I, I didn't prepare for this at all. Uh, just so you guys know, Noelle and I never share what we're going to do. But uh, <clears throat> I think... Like the Lizzie Borden Chronicles would have you believe that there's a lot of covering for Lizzie's sociopathic behavior when she was mm-hmm. a kid. And so one of the things that kids do if they're about to become like a serial killer fucking weirdo is they injure animals. Right. And so I think maybe that's why besides him being like, if he did it himself, it's so weird. But if she did it and he covered for her, there might be even more weirdness there, but keep going. Not no, verifiable for me. I don't, I don't have that information in front of me. It's that's a really interesting theory, and um, I hadn't read anything about that. And but I like that theory. It goes against what I believe happened, um, but that's totally a possibility as well. Like my thought is more, he's an older man, like he's already like probably outlived his um, age limit for his expected um, lifetime or I can't why I'm sucking at words today um you know what I'm saying (laughs) like he's already outlived his anticipated age um at this point so it's in my mind it's like maybe he's going a little senile but who knows yeah it's entirely possible too that none of this ever happened and it's pure speculation um because there was a lot of sensational sensationalism about the board ends for sure right this is one story though that like is documented where like people knew that this caused a rift (laughs) so um lizzie was upset when this happened and stewed on it for a little bit and then in july so two months later there was a family argument and she and her sister emma prompted to take extended vacations to new bedford um after uh, after they came back from the, their vacation, Lizzie chose to stay in a local rooming house for a few days. So she wasn't she wasn't over it yet. She needed some more time from her family. Um, then from there, tensions rose again because Andrew started giving property or real estate to Abby, his second wife, to her family. So like Abby's sister received a house, and so mm-hmm. the girls were kind of like. WTF, like, what are you doing? Um, So to kind of smooth things over with them, Andrew sold Lizzie and Emma a rental property for $1, which was actually the home that they had lived in until their mother died. Um, They then sold the property back to him for $5,000 weeks before the murders. So that's a very suspicious and odd thing. Very suspicious. Um, but there were, were I want to emphasize that there were tensions around the way Andrew was managing his property and how he was giving things away to his wife's family and kind of neglecting his children. Um, this is another thing that 
I just kind of want to emphasize his behaviors where there are things that, and I feel like people didn't, from what I've read, it wasn't talked a lot about his age or his behavior, but there are patterns that I'm seeing now where I'm like, I feel like he might have been preparing to be dying soon or like taking those steps or there are some instances where it's like he might be in addition to that, maybe he recognizes that he's starting to lose his senses a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I was like, like it's interesting because <clears throat> whenever you look at a family and especially we have to look at them from a huge distance, we have to look through the sensationalism. There are so many things to look at. Like he was a dick and a weirdo, but Lizzie is a dick and a weirdo. Mm-hmm. So it kind of starts to get Menendez brotheries. Um, where you're like, what the hell was going on in that house? And what up with those girls? Because, yeah, that that was a very strange house. Very strange. And it's so odd for, for women at that age to still be living with their parents at that, even in that time period. Why weren't they married off? They were part for of sure. a very affluent family. It's so bizarre. And that's something that is also not really discussed because I think they were kind of, despite the fact that they were in, you know, heavily involved in the community, I think they were personally very closed off. And so I'm sure people kind of just excuse them for being eccentric because that's essentially what it came down to. Like Lizzie in her later life was just kind of like, um, she was kind of written off as despite like, in addition to, possibly being a murderer being a murderer she was also considered to be eccentric and just being like oh, out yeah. there and different so I think because of their wealth it was easier to kind of excuse that yeah in a way and because her father was so influential as well um okay so just to go back to the timeline May pigeons are killed July <laughs> fight has taken <laughs> fight happens. Girls come back. Lizzie stays in a boarding house or a rooming house for a few days. On August 4th, um, John Morse, who is the brother of Sarah, Lizzie and Emma's mother, comes to visit. And he sleeps in the guest room. John is not a frequent guest in the house since the passing of his sister. Um, he There's also some tension amongst her family as far as how the property is being divided up as well. So um, the following morning, John and Andrew discuss business and then both of them leave the house by 9 a.m. Somewhere between 9 and 10.30 a.m., Abby goes to clean the room. Now, it's worth noting that this was typically a chore reserved for Lizzie and Emma, allegedly. But Emma's not in the house. Emma is off in New Bedford. She's still, oh, I'm sorry. She's still there. She's not returned from this vacation. Only Lizzie has. So she's allegedly still there. Um, when Abby goes into the guest room, she's struck on the side of the head with a hatchet that cut just above her ear. This may get a little graphic for people. Okay. Um, so I want to put that out there right now. Um, when I 
talk about the murders. Yeah, so, this is a really disgusting murder. So. so these are very, very um, graphic and brutal. So if you can't handle this kind of stuff, you might want to um, skip ahead a little bit. Um, so she's struck on the side of the head with a hatchet. It cuts her just above the ear, which causes her to turn and fall face down. Doing that creates contusions on her nose and her forehead. She then receives 17 blows to the back of her head, which kill her. Um, at 10.30, Andrew returns home. Uh, now, this is strange. And this is like a weird part of the story that doesn't quite make sense to me. Um, when he returns, his key doesn't work when he tries to unlock the door. When he knocks... Maggie Sullivan, who is the live-in maid, comes to open the door and finds it jammed. She would later testify that she heard Lizzie laughing at this from the top of the stairs, despite the fact that she never saw her. Lizzie states that her father asked when he does come get into the house, so uh, Maggie eventually gets the door open. Um, Lizzie states that her father asks where Abby, Abby is. Lizzie says she told him that a messenger had delivered Abby a summons to visit a sick friend. She then takes off her father's boots, helps him into slippers and onto the sofa in the uh, living room area or the sitting room um, for a nap. This part of her story is contradicted because in the crime scene photos, Andrew's wearing his boots. Uh. Um, after she helps her father down for a nap, she then informs Maggie, the Maggie, who I'm going to start referring to as Sullivan, because that's how every, like in every article and everything I've read refers to her as Sullivan. She is the live-in maid again. Um, she tells Sullivan that there's a department store sale that they should go to. Um, but Sullivan's not feeling well. So um, she decides to go back to her third floor bedroom and take a nap. Now, in order to get to her third floor bedroom, she's going to take the servant stairs instead of the grand, the staircase that mm -hmm. like enters into the hallway in the front. Um, it's also worth noting that a few days prior to this, the family was sick and specifically it was Abby and Andrew. I don't, um, believe that Lizzie or Lizzie was ill, but there's speculation that Sullivan also was sick from potential food poisoning. Ah. There's speculation that they ate bad meat. Uh, well, they were used to it because that was what was part of their yeah regular dietary routine. So allegedly then Sullivan goes to take a nap. Lizzie goes to this department store for the sale at 11.10, Sullivan hears Lizzie calling for her, and she says, Maggie, come quick. Father's dead. Someone came and killed him. Or it could have sounded like this. Maggie, come quick. Father's dead. Someone came and killed him. It's hard to know. <laughs> but <laughs> Is it just... So are we now doing acting? Are you going to do, like, five other voices? Maggie, come quick. Someone just called her. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the idea of this like very robotic like she's trying to put on an act but it's like oh, not yeah. working because she's like <laughs> so like the reports of her is that she's always very poised 
and <laughs> very calm through all of this. Um, so like her stepmother has been dead now for two hours upstairs. Potentially. So they oh. don't know. Well, she must have been. Time. Otherwise she would have been like crying and. Right. So they think she it got was. got nine hatchet blows to the head, dude. Total. Uh, no, she had 18. 18. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. So it's between nine and ten thirty. So at nine o'clock is when the, the men leave and then she goes upstairs. So sometime after that. Um, and, and, uh, I should note that, um, John Morse left the house first. Okay. So he left uh, a little bit before Andrew did. Andrew was out by, by nine o'clock. So sometime after nine is when Abby's killed. Andrew returns home at 1030 at 1110. Lizzie Maybe. discovers the body. So when Sullivan comes downstairs, um, they find Andrew slumped on the couch. He was struck 10 or 11 times with a hatchet like weapon. One of his eyes, this is graphic again, one of his eyes had been, he was struck so hard that one of his eyes had been split in two. Yeah. Yeah. It's assumed he was killed in his sleep. So this is where the timing bugs me a little bit because he returns at 1030 at 1110. She's saying, come quick. He's dead. So he fell asleep pretty quickly. Like he must have been just completely exhausted. And this is morning time. So like, I understand he got up very early that day, most likely, but it just, the timing of it is a little off and I can't really explain that. And I don't have a theory behind it, but it just all happens very fast. Yeah. Okay. So immediately um, they call uh, local law, law enforcement, they call the local physician, they call a family friend and like, an investigation happens in immediately. Like they're like, people are swarming the house, including local onlooker onlookers, because yeah. at that time they didn't have police tape. They didn't stop spectators from just walking in. So all of these people from town are walking through this crime. Always scene. the case that happened with the JonBenet. Yeah. Uh huh. Family, friends, all these people walking happened around with the Elizabeth smart too. I mean, she yeah. lived, but no, but that's, what's really interesting is that like, how was that still happening in the eighties and the nineties? Yeah. And because rich people can do whatever they want. It's just insane. So, or then I guess both of those are in the nineties, but um, yeah, similar thing. So uh, this is Lizzie's story for the investigation. So she first reports that she heard a groan or a call for distress when entering the house, because remember she went to the department store. Two hours later, though, she told the police that she heard nothing when she entered the house. So she has this problem with constantly contradicting herself. She can't keep her story straight. Yeah. Um, she says that Abby had gone to see a sick friend and had returned. Uh, and so she asked someone to go check on her. Um, Sullivan and a neighbor, Mrs. Churchill, go then to check on Abby. They're halfway up the stairs when they see Abby lying face down in the guest room. So that's the other thing is that nobody has found Abby until this point. Hmm. She's been dead for hours. At wow. this point. And nobody's left the ground floor of this house to look for 
look to see if like the murderer is still around. If there's somebody insane. And like, even too, like if you found somebody's husband and you didn't report to them immediately, like what kind of an asshole are you? Like, wouldn't she want to know? It's a complete. If somebody should come up, if you're ever murdered, somebody should come upstairs and be like, Jay, hang on to your boots. But we got something to tell you. Like the fact that they didn't even look for her. Weird. It's nuts. Like it's such a bot- botched investigation. Yeah. And, you know, uh, during this time, it's not like murders and crimes like this weren't happening. Like they yeah. had the training for this. So it's very, it's very bizarre that they didn't even think. And the house is, although it's a large house, it's not, we're not talking about a mansion. This is no. a, a three story house that is, um, I don't even know. We'll post I, I, pictures online. It's a pretty yeah. modest. I mean, like it's a, it's a, it's a house, but it's not like right. Tori Stelling's mansion. Like it's no, it's it's like a decent sized house, but it's nothing crazy. Yeah. And it's um, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm very bad with like different structures and like what their styles are. But we'll post some pictures because um, <laughs> it would have been easy to search yeah. the house very easily. I think the living room was like adjacent to the staircase going upstairs. It yeah it is yeah um and you can you can still visit this house as well which we'll get to yeah. don't worry I'll give you all of the reviews um <laughs> during the investigation uh most of the officers stated that they disliked Lizzie's attitude she was too calm and poised like I said before um nobody checked her for bloodstains police police did a cursory search of her room but admitted at the trial that. Um, it was not very thorough because Borden was not feeling well. So they, they didn't do their job. Bottom yeah. line. They didn't do their job. Um, they found two hatchets, two axes and a hatchet with a broken handle in the basement. The, um, the hatchet head was suspected to be the murder weapon for the one with the broken handle. Um, none of the tools, however, were taken from the house. So they just left them. Um, the contents of Andrew and Abby's stomachs were tested for poison. Those came back negative. So um, because somebody had reported them all being sick a couple of days oh. earlier. So they tested that. No poison. Um, so following the, ne- the day of the murders, um, Lizzie and Emma's friend, Alice Russell comes over to spend the night. Police are stationed all around the house because they're still speculating that there might be a murderer on the loose. So they're like, they're protecting the house. They state that they witnessed Lizzie and Alice enter the cellar with a kerosene lantern and a slot pill. They watched both girls exit and then watched Lizzie return alone, stating she appeared to be bent over a sink. So they thought that she was like cleaning up some blood or like hiding a weapon. That was and she's blood. 32, right? She's not a girl. She's not a girl. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to correct that. Sorry, this was, I, uh, I think I copy and pasted that and I am sorry. That is okay. from Wikipedia. Um, the following day, Alice Russell says that she finds Lizzie tearing up a, a blue dress and throwing it into the fire, stating it was covered in paint. Um, it was never determined if that was the dress she was wearing on the day of the murders. Okay. So um, we move on to the inquest. 
Lizzie's during the inquest, Lizzie's request to have her family attorney present was denied, which is not legal. No. Um, she had been given morphine to calm her nerves. Oh my. So that might have affected her testimony. Um, and it also, her behavior was erratic and she often to re, uh, refused to answer questions. So, I mean, her, her father's just died. Um, this is a traumatic experience for her. Let's I'm playing, let's say she didn't do it. Yeah. Um, and she was given morphine. So she's clearly not in her right mind. And even if like, if she had committed these crimes, it's still going to affect you in a crazy yeah. way. So, um, yeah, so that I, I, there, I, I feel like her behavior is easily excused. Um, she, like I said before, she altered her accounts of the morning. One At one point, she said she was in the kitchen reading a magazine when her father arrived home. Um, she also stated she was in the dining room ironing. She said she was coming down the stairs. She, um, her. You know, my favorite thing about this is like the implied sexism. This is the kind of thing that they're like, well, you know, women don't remember what they've been doing. Women remember exactly what they're doing and when they were doing it. And so this is just like, she probably got caught once. And because of benevolent sexism, she's like, maybe I was, maybe I was doing this. Maybe I was doing that. Maybe I was doing this. And just like fucking looped her way out of being accountable. No, that's a really good point. That's so true. There's so many, there's so many moments of whether you believe she did it or not. Um, despite I, I should say if she did it or not, there are so many moments of sexism through all of this, mm-hmm. whether it work in her favor or not. Um, well, I mean, cause your, your big things are, uh, can, can a woman actually hatch at somebody? They were caught, they were just caught into this loop forever mm-hmm. about how only a man could do this crime. Mm-hmm. Um, even though she's a fucking weirdo, like she can't possibly like hit someone 18 times with a hatchet or whatever. And then, um, this whole, yeah, there's so many like exceptions made for her behavior. And it's like, dude, she's just a sociopath who murdered her mom and dad. Perhaps I may have another theory. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'm with you. So we'll see. We're going to get there at the end of all of this. Um, but she also said like when he was murdered, she was maybe at this department store um, or the, another story she told was that she was looking for irons in the, in the barn. So she could never get her story straight. And so it was easy for police to be like, you're a number one suspect. You can't get your story straight. Um, everything's circumstantial, but like you're clearly the one who did it. And so on August 11th, Borden was served with a warrant and jailed. And she sat in jail for 10 months while she waited for her trial. And I think um, we didn't talk about one ghost yet, but we're going to pause here (laughs) because there's a lot more to go. And there's going to be so many ghosts, I promise, in the next episode. So many. So um, until next time, more Lizzie Borden. But I strongly recommend in the meantime, if you're interested in looking up um, some fun stories about Lizzie Borden or um, movies or shows inspired by, you can check out the 1975 ABC hit, the Legend of Lizzie Borden, starring one Elizabeth Montgomery. 
Bewitched? That's correct. Oh, my God. Do you want to know a fun fact? I love her. I love her. Mm-hmm. She um, twitched her nose into a hatchet and she murdered her own mother. Esmeralda. Uh, was, <laughs> was that? I love Esmeralda so much. Um, I also love that name. Um, her gowns, like everything she wore was just fantastic. Yeah. Lots of green. Lots of green. I loved it. Well, I think it was playing up on like emerald. Yeah. Right? Um, I love her. Uh, fun fact. It was discovered after Montgomery's death that she and Lizzie Borden were sixth cousins. Well, I'm seriously your sixth cousin. Who's not a sixth cousin? <laughs> Jesus Christ. If we're starting to count that far, like, I, I know I'm related to everyone. Hillary's my third cousin. Oh my God. I, I really just wanted your reaction on that. The, uh, You're such a troll. How did you think I would react to that? <laughs> the genealogist who is quoted, the gene- genealogist who did this is quoted as being like, I wonder how Ms. Montgomery would have responded for doing this movie if she would have known this. A woman born 100 years before me? What's it got to do with me? I'm pretty sure Ms. Montgomery would have been like, thank you for the paycheck. I'll do it. Yeah, she would have twitched her nose and been all, hey, all, <laughs> that's my cuz. <laughs> All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to a show called High Spirits. Please tune in for our next episode. It will be Lizzie Borden part two. Noelle has one last disgusting thing to say to you. Sweet dreams.